Good morning. I love the church because it is um, God's plan for touching the world with his love and his care, his compassion, his truth. And um, we are privileged um, to help um, support through prayer some of our brothers and sisters who are being the church in, in internationally, globally. And I wanted to give a brief update for uh, Scott and Diane Jackson, who have been with us uh, a couple of times over the past year. They are now in Bryansk. They are settling in. They have gone through some of the first, you know, flying over the Atlantic. What am I doing now? What were we thinking? Oh, yes, this is God's call. And they are... They have a unique opportunity in that they have relationships with churches that have been being built over the past 10 years, which is pretty unique for people hitting the ground as brand new um, missionaries. And so they are hard at work meeting with those friends, um, especially the History Makers Church, the group of young people in Bryansk, Russia, that are really seeking to reach out um, to their their peers who just don't have a whole lot of hope other than maybe economy and materialism. So please, please um, pray for Scott and Diane and for the churches they're working with, for history makers, for the other churches of that region. And um, I don't know about you, but but um, remembering to pray for our friends that we've committed to pray for can slip out of my mind. So... Um, on my handy new phone, I have programmed on Mondays a reminder at noon to pray for Andy and Kay Martin, who are going to join us in a moment, on Tuesdays for Scott and Diane. On Thursdays, I pray for our team in Russia ministering to Muslims. And on Friday, I have our Muslim um, neighbors programmed in because Friday is the, um, the day that... Um, in Islam, that people, that's their holy day, the day that they go to mosque and pray. And so that is the day when they are in prayer seeking God. And my prayer is that God will speak, um, that they will find the true God in that time. So just a little hint if you um, to help us remember to not just pay lip service to praying for our friends that we commit to, but um, to truly be praying for them. Um, and now I have the privilege of introducing Andy and Kay Martin. They were with us, I can't believe it was already, um, um, it was back in 2008 as they were preparing to leave for London uh, with the International Mission Board to be the pastors to the missionaries of Western Europe. And so it's great to see them, have them back with us, and I will hope to. It is hard to believe it's been that long, hasn't it? Thank you for that reminder to prayer. When we were here in 2008, we brought a prayer card, and we have updated that and made ourselves four more years maturer. <laughs> These, uh, it also has a picture of a gentleman with a top hat, straight from London, having high tea. So if you uh, are interested in this, they will be out there on the table. Also, Andy and I send out a newsletter. And if you are interested in being on our newsletter list, if you are not, our email address is on here. If you would just email us, then we will make sure that you get on our newsletter list. That way we'll know we have your email address correct. So thank you for that reminder for prayer. We do value and live on the prayers of our support and our friends back home. 
Thank you, Meadowbrook, for being one of those churches and for keeping in contact with us and uh, just keeping us updated. It's a joy to be here this morning. We drove down from Vancouver, British Columbia, where our daughter lives. Her baby was due Thursday, and it's not here yet. So uh, we're thinking, that's not our phone. We're <laughs> <laughs> if there's a text, you might see me rush out of here quickly. Nah, <laughs> nah, nah, nah. She's here. We're here. So... Coming from London, as missionaries, and as we were growing up, Andy and I both grew up in the church, and we saw a lot of missionaries come across the stage, and we picked up on several things that are key that you are supposed to do when you go share in a church as a missionary as we were growing up, and now here we back, here we are back on our first stateside time, and we are the ones up on the stage, so the first thing that we picked up on is that you need to come dressed in your local costume. <laughs> <laughs> the second thing we picked up on is you always need to show a picture of your local village. <laughs> and then you should always show the local fare that the people eat from where you live. This is fish and chips with mushy peas. The little green thing is mushy peas. You can ask me about that later. And you also share some dialect. You speak John 3.16 or something in your local language. So we've chosen to share a few choice words with you that we've learned. They say when you move to London, you know 80% of the English. We've learned uh, a bit since we've been there. Here's a few of our favorite words. One is that French fries are called chips. And chips, what we call chips, are called crisps. But even more confusing than that, a cookie is a biscuit a biscuit is a bun, and a bun is a bap. Right? You got that? You got that? And one of my favorites, dessert, is called pudding. And the funny thing is they don't even have pudding. So I don't know why they call it pudding. But we have pudding. After our meal, we have pudding. If you think of a zebra and a pelican and a toucan, those are not really animals. Those are three different varieties of pedestrian crossings in London. And if you think of a bonnet and a boot, that's not what you put on your head or your feet. That's the trunk and the hood of your car. And let me just say that uh, we appreciate all the, all the uh, financial giving that you... <laughs> what? I don't know. We, all the missionaries drive these. Did you not know that? <laughs> I got to tell you this story. We're, we're at a hotel. Okay, this comes out of your shoes. Yeah, this comes out of my time. Okay. We're at a, we're at a hotel outside of London um, celebrating our anniversary, and, and there's this car sitting right in front of the hotel, and Kay looks at this car, and she goes, that would make a great picture. So she just gets in this car. I have no idea. We have no idea whose car this is, all right? This, that's the way my wife is. That's, okay. She's your typical missionary. Okay. <laughs> Andy has had the privilege of uh, preaching at the church that we attend in London several times. And just one priceless example of the way that we've had to learn the language. He has manuscripted out his sermons and taken them to one of our British friends before he shares to make sure that there's not any words that he's pronouncing wrong. The vocabulary is a bit different. And this last time he shared, he had to say evolution instead of a evolution. But during the middle of the sermon, he said, the Spirit of God hovered over the earth. And a gentleman over here said, he what? <laughs> and Andy said, hovered. He hovered over the earth. What? What did he say? What did he say? And a guy over here said, 
Hover, over the earth. Hover. And then you hear this collective sigh. Oh. Hover. Why didn't you just say hover? conundrum, controversy. We learned quite a bit of new vocabulary in our language. Yeah, it's been, it's been really good. I don't need to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, our best source of language was our small group, and we learned a number of things from them um, just in the way of language. We want to just share with you briefly a little bit about um, some ministry and some things that we do. We are pastoral member care, which is, Glee said, we're pastors to missionaries. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about where our missionaries live and kind of the numbers that, that, that we deal with. But we live in the north part of London, which if you've, when you do look on a map, if you'll look at the north part of London... Um, or look at London. There's a ring around it that encompasses London. Uh, and we live in the very far north part. If you've ever been to London, we're on the north end of the Piccadilly line. We live in a city of 12 million people, give or take a million or two. Um, they're not really ever sure. We live in a city that is that, where the world lives. Um, there are multiple nationalities that live in London. There, estimates are that only about 50% of the people that live in London are actually Brits. The rest are immigrants from somewhere else in the world. Approximately 75 or so people groups in London of 50,000 or more. So it's a large population in London that lives outside of the world. And we live in an area where the world lives. And a part of the ministry that we get to do relates to nationalities. The church that we go to is, called, is a uh, Salvation Army church, which is kind of strange to us because from the States, we always thought of the Salvation Army as just ringing the bell and, you know, collecting money and helping people who are in need. But this is actually a, we're actually a part of a church that's very evangelical. And we're connected with this church because they helped us get into the country with a visa, but also because they have a heart for reaching their people. It's a very small church, about 100 people. And um, on any given Sunday, there'll be 15 to 20 different nationalities in that church out of that 100 people. And the, the, the little village that, that it's associated with called Wood Green um, is you walk down the main street of Woodgreen or what they call the high street of Woodgreen and you will hear languages from all over the world. So we love where we live and it's amazing that even though English is the language, we can, we can reach and, or be around and connect with people from all over the world. So much of what we personally do has to do with traveling and going to where missionaries live in Europe. And so one of the challenging things for us is a personal ministry where we live right there in London. And one of the ways, just to share with you a little bit about, and we're, we're connected in the church some, and I preach occasionally, and Kay gets to help with worship when we're there, but we're not there that much. But one of the ways that we've been able to connect, that I've especially been able to connect, um, and I'm, I'm not joking around when I say this, is through golf. I met my next-door neighbor um, who said and meeting him I, I found he was wearing a golf thing and i found out he played golf and he asked me if i played golf and i said i do ultimately he has been a person of peace for me and invited invited me to come share in a round of golf with him and then introduced me to 30 of his best friends who none of them know jesus and as a result of that i'm now a member of what's called the spiders golf society it's a 60 year old golf society that no american has ever been invited to join we play golf. We have drinks. I have my Diet Pepsi with these guys, and they look at me funny, and we have drinks. We have dinner, and we talk, and I've been able to share with all of them what I do and who I am and why I'm there, 
and they've embraced me and we're praying that God would open doors for us to connect with people and ultimately see them come to know Jesus and it's been a phenomenal ministry considering that we have not much time to um, engage in that way. And he gets to toast the queen. Oh yes. At those dinners. Hip hip. We all no we don't we just stand up and okay we're going to toast the queen. There's a picture of Queen Elizabeth that's on the wall that's probably 40 years old and we toast the queen. Who's <laughs> the queen? So in our role as pastoral member care, basically we are pastors to the missionaries. One friend coined it, one teammate coined it and said, you are our professional friends. You have to like us. <laughs> That's our role. There's a map here that shows the scope of the area that we service. We have 16 different countries spread across Western Europe from the farthest west, Portugal and Spain, up north all the way to Iceland, across the top, down over the east to Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and then down to Germany and Austria. We have 16 different countries with 165 roughly family units that can be a single or a couple or a couple with children. That equals about 500 people spread across 16 different countries. So it's an impossible task for us to be with all of those people all the time. Our goal is to touch them twice a year. And one way that we do that is by traveling to where they are. We like to say that about 80% of our role is proactive travel and care, where we go to see where we go to see people when they're in a healthy situation and state, when there's not really a crisis going on in their life. We just want to share a coffee, hear about their kids, see their ministry, see how their marriage is doing, ask them questions, see what's going on in their lives, and listen, which is what we do a lot. About 20% of what we do would be crisis intervention. Those situations that we find ourselves in, that's just a surprise. Our teammates on the field don't expect to find themselves in that situation. Early on in our ministry, shortly after we had arrived in London, I found myself traveling alone, standing at Victoria Station, looking up as people were hustling and bustling past me, waiting to see which train would whisk me away to a country to deal with a crisis situation. A young woman that had given two years of her life, passionately loved the Lord, decided to give up everything and postpone her career to come and serve the Lord in a country in Western Europe. Shortly after she was there, her apartment had been robbed, and it had crippled her, and she found herself crippled with fear and paralyzed, curled up in a fetal position, literally could not leave her apartment, could not get out the door. And we were called in to address that crisis situation. What do you do for somebody in a situation like that? A young mother that I was intervening with continuously over a period of weeks that had a new baby that was experiencing severe postpartum depression. It was exacerbated by the fact that she was doing this in a new culture that she'd only been in for several months. Had no language, had no support, had no family. Had gotten to the point where in the dialogue that we were having together, she was afraid of either hurting herself or hurting her new baby. What do you do in a situation like that? Part of what Andy and I do is sit down regularly with people sharing a cup of coffee, asking questions, listening intently, having a cup of coffee with a couple that we had known for over three years, that we had a positive relationship, great couple, been on the field a number of years, have four children, doing well in ministry, all outward appearances, very, very successful, looked up to by everybody else on the field. We asked this couple at the end of our time together, like we always do, so how are you guys doing personally? How's your marriage? 
We've known this couple for over three years, had multiple cups of coffee, multiple times together. And this particular time, they felt confident enough to stop. They looked at each other. The husband looked at us. He said, you know, we're not doing well. And we haven't been doing well for 10 years. What do you do in a situation like that? IMB affords us the opportunity to speak into and to be available in crisis situations. Early on, I recognized for myself personally, I passionately, desperately needed to stay in the word. How could I point people to Jesus unless I had Jesus and the Holy Spirit in me to pour out? I started memorizing verses on wisdom and discernment and understanding so that I could trust that what I was speaking was God's words. Proverbs 2 says, My son, if you accept my commands and store up my teaching within you, if you turn your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. How desperately Andy and I need that knowledge and that discernment and that understanding. As you think of us, would you pray for us in that particular way? As we travel around to these 16 different countries, we have opportunity to see our folks and, as I said, just hang out and spend time with, spend time with them. Just going to touch briefly on a couple of families just to give you some pictures and some faces. Frequently when missionaries come, they are just in one place. So you hear just about what they do. But in our particular situation, as we travel, as this picture picture exemplifies, we get to touch on them wherever they are. Another particular way that you can pray for us as we travel is that our habits, our routine, eating, exercising, spending time in the Word, having time to pray together would remain consistent. That's always a challenge when we're on the road. Here's a family that we get to visit in Denmark. They have a unique platform. Most of our teammates that minister across Western Europe are not in a traditional church setting. They don't go into a community and try and set up a lovely building like this. They meet in homes. They develop relationships. And they have to work outside of a traditional church setting to find relationships. This particular couple does it through blogging. She has an amazing impact through her blog. And he does it through photography. He has photographed rock stars and royal weddings and done shoots that are in magazines all across their country. The other couple that's in this same city with them has a unique approach too. He participates in a biking club. Biking is huge in Denmark. And they also participate in a game ministry. They play Settlers of Catan and Ticket to Ride and Dominion and games like that that are huge across Europe. And they participate in a gaming ministry just to make relationships and have an opportunity and the privilege of speaking into someone's life. Across Western Europe, you see beautiful facilities like this, churches that have been there for hundreds and hundreds of years, but they're empty. They're void of life. They're void of anything that would speak to us of the Holy Spirit's intervention and being real each morning. Our teammates have to look for creative ways to get into relationship. From the north to the south to the west, all the way over to the east to where this family lives in Lithuania, we find them doing creative things to get into ministry. This particular family has been in Vilnius for 15 years. 
he set a goal, the husband set a goal a number of years back of 12 by 12 was his goal. Seeing 12 little new pockets of community or Bible studies situated across 12 communities in his country by the year 2012. I don't know if they'll reach that goal or not because the work is slow. The work can be discouraging because it takes so long to develop relationships and get into communities. But we have the joy and the privilege of walking with our people, of listening to them, of praying for them, and supporting them as we walk across. I'll get that right. As we... um, as we considered opportunities to be able to come share, one of the things that God really began to burden my heart about as we were going to be in churches had to do with um, something I personally experienced in the course of our, our service in being pastors to missionaries. It requires lots and lots of listening and lots and lots of, of just being ready and to hear from, hopefully hear from the Holy Spirit to speak into the lives of people. And there's a strong, strong element of, of dying to self. And God just really impressed upon me a couple of months ago that as we got ready to come back, here's a message I want you to take to people as you have an opportunity to share. Because it's not just for me as a missionary. It's for all of us who live and walk and desire to walk with Jesus every day. And so I, I, I want to I share just a few words with you from, from the Word about life and living life um, in the midst of, of challenge, in the midst of, of every day. Um, choosing to die to self and let Jesus live through you. Choosing to, to pull away and get with Him and, and spend time with Him. Choosing not just to think about yourself all the time, but choosing to think of others. Choosing to uh, be submitted and to be humbled before God. Choosing to be concerned for others day in and day out. Choosing to give of ourselves when we'd rather focus on ourselves. It's draining. It's draining because the enemy battles. We, we recently, this past summer, came home from a, from a meeting where we sit down with people on a, um, a pretty constant basis. We would go for a four or five day meeting and meet with four to five different families or individuals each day for a four or five day period of time. And at the end of the time, you can imagine that in intense conversation, intense sometimes counseling situations, you can be pretty drained from that, from hearing stuff and from talking to people. But as we, as we shared it in kind of debriefing after that was over, there was, this, there was this sense that, you know, we're drained, but it's not just a being tired kind of a drained. And the Lord just really revealed to us that it was more than that. It was a battle that was going on. It was a spiritual battle that was taking place on a regular basis where the enemy was trying to, and we have an enemy. Satan is our enemy, and, and he's trying to discourage us and defeat us and to, to beat us up as much as he can. And the same thing happens with missionaries. In Western Europe, we see a lot of discouragement because, as Kay said earlier, the work is so slow. And so as we sit down and talk with people, we begin to realize there's a, there's a battle going on with us as well because we're trying to pour out we want to minister and we want to serve and we want to love and we want to encourage and we want to be those friends to people that are safe and point them back to Jesus on a regular basis but if you're if you're constantly worn out and you're constantly tired it's difficult to do 
So there's a battle that goes on. And each one of you can relate to what I'm just talking about. Even though you don't live overseas, you live right here. And you struggle with discouragement and you struggle with loneliness sometimes and you struggle with wanting to find meaning and purpose and hope and those things that we're all looking for. I just appreciated the guy that was up here saying, this is, I, I needed what this church offers. And what this church offers is Jesus and the hope that he, that he has for us. And there's a battle that's going on to try to keep us from that so that we'll continue to be discouraged and defeated and hurt and, and all those things that we've, that we've all dealt with. So the Lord brought me to this whole concept of dying to self. Once again, in Luke 9, 23, there's a, a, just one of the greatest verses in all the New Testament where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And a couple of things that came out of this verse, this idea for me, as I was just putting some thoughts together... There, there are two key elements that go with this. One is I need to be willing to change my agenda, whatever it is my agenda might be for life. And the other is, um, I mean, I've gone too far. There's an element that we need to understand that discipleship, following after Jesus, is very demanding. I need to be able to change my agenda to whatever his agenda might be. To be a follower of Jesus requires an intentional giving up. It requires an intentional purposing to humble myself and submitting myself to him. Every one of the disciples that Jesus, um, that Jesus was talking to and calling out already had a life. They already had a job. They already had a family, most of them. They, probably, they had other things going on. And so he was saying, come follow after me, which meant they had to be willing to put that kind of stuff down. Not to walk away from family but to put it all under his submission. So the idea that Jesus would call after us and say, come follow me, come be mine, is a demanding concept. They might might not have changed jobs, but they may have had to leave their families for a while, or they may have had to give up their jobs for a while. They gave up much of what they needed to be comfortable and familiar And he's saying, I have to be willing to do whatever it takes, take whatever situation I'm in, and let my responses and my actions and my thoughts be his. Come after him. He's saying that that when I have opportunity to minister and to serve, that I don't automatically say no. When I have the opportunity to put someone else ahead of me, I don't automatically say no because I have another agenda. But I submit that to him. In these verses... Matthew 6.33, it says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And in Jeremiah 29.11-13, through 13, it says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans, for, uh, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. In these two verses, Jesus identifies the demand and the reward for following after him. In Matthew, the demand is this. Make God's plan my first priority in everything. And the reward is, everything I will ever need in life, he will provide. He will provide what we need in life. He will identify what that need is as we seek after him and make him the first priority in our life. And if you look at Jeremiah, the demand is, make God's plan my life focus. Keep my eyes fixed on him. 
And the reward will be success, protection, hope, and security. The things in life, really, that we strive and want. And we try to find ways to, to get for ourselves. And God says, here's the demand and here's the promise and here's the reward that comes with that demand. So discipleship is a demanding kind of a thing. All the things in life that we want, he wants to give us based on his agenda. Based on what he knows that we need. So discipleship is a full-time commitment and not a part-time hobby. Discipleship means denying myself to follow Jesus. That means I'm willing to pay really whatever price that that is to follow after him. And then the second lesson that the Lord taught me that I want to share with you is I need to remember that following Jesus is a daily adventure. It really is a daily adventure. In verse 23, again, it says to take up his cross daily and follow after Jesus. And Jesus used a great word picture here with his disciples. And it's the man, a picture of a man who has been convicted of a crime and he's hanging on a cross. And it's a crime that's worthy of death. And he, we, we take up that cross daily and we follow after Jesus. And what he's saying here is it means that, that we need to be prepared for rejection and even death while remaining faithful to God in our lives. Now, we're probably not going to die for that, but we certainly could experience rejection for that. It meant that every day they had to die to the world. They had to live separated from the world's values and lifestyle. Now, for those of you that are followers of Jesus, I don't know if anybody ever told you that that would be easy. That being a Christian is an easy thing. But if they did, they lied to you. Not intentionally, probably. But they lied to you. Because it's not an easy thing. It's easy to... To say, I want Jesus in my life, that's an easy thing. But then to live that life out is not an easy thing. What are the crosses that we face? They aren't just trials. They aren't just struggles. They aren't just hard times. They're not a crazy employer. They're not a wacky mother-in-law or a wacky spouse. They're not an unfair teacher. They're not an illness and they're not a tragedy in your life. Those are not crosses to bear. Those are things that happen to everybody. Everybody that you know, those kind of things that happen to them. I'm, I'm a baseball fan, sports fan. They just have been recently during the World Series doing this thing, stand up to cancer. And they have all these people holding these signs that you've been affected by cancer. There's nobody that hasn't been affected by cancer. Right? Everybody deals with tragedy. So when Jesus tells us to pick up our cross daily and follow after him, the burdens, the, the things that he's talking about that are crosses for us to pick up are not just the struggles that we face. That's not to say that God doesn't care about those things. He does very much. And he meets us in the middle of those needs. But the burdens, the, the crosses that we bear have much more to do with the whole concept of being rejected in this world. Where we have to stand up and say, I will follow Jesus no matter what. And to know that it's daily. I love how the New Living translates um, this particular passage. If any of you wants to be my followers, you must put aside your selfish admission, shoulder your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you'll lose it. And we strive for that. We do. He says, we'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find true life. 
Sometimes we don't know what that means until we say yes to Jesus. But we also know that it's not going to be easy. Our commitment to Christ is something that we take with us wherever we go. And as we do, we'll have plenty of opportunities to actually be rejected for who we're living for. Um, As we do what we do and as you do what you do in life, there's plenty of opportunity for us to die to self. And it doesn't matter whether you live in England, somewhere in Europe, in Africa, or wherever. As we sit with our M's listening, we know that Jesus is calling us to die to self and that we're engaged in a battle. As you do what you do day in and day out, you can know the same exact thing. And his desire for you is a greater purpose, his purpose, a greater joy in life, his joy, a greater hope, his hope. And it requires that dying to self so that we can truly live. That's our message as we point our missionaries back to Jesus. That's the message that we have to live with and in every day ourselves. And that's the message we need to challenge you with. It's really very simple. It's just not easy. Simple but not easy. It's a basic thing in life. That when we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus, that's when we know life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for... uh, For the truth of who you are in the world. I can say thank you for letting me see that better because I've moved out of the United States. But God, it's it's so true for every country, every city. And I thank you that it's true for each person sitting in this room. That you let us get a glimpse of who you are when we choose to deny self and let you live through us. Thank you that there's nothing the nearness of Jesus doesn't overcome in our lives. Jesus, thank you that um, you give hope. You are the source of joy in life. We just bless you for the freedom that we have to choose you because you've already chosen us. So we just say we love you today, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this place of worship, this gathering, this time to come and just be confronted with truth that isn't always easy, but it is amazing. We just love you, Lord. We we thank you that you hear us as I pray verbal words, but also as hearts cry out to you, just those sitting here. We thank you that you hear our, our thoughts, our silent prayers. And that you do care about all those things that we deal with. We bless you, Lord Jesus, and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.